Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Culture, the inescapable facet of humanity that saturates, shapes, and sways. What does culture tell us is important? What does it tell us to value? Do the themes of today align with what the gospel says is enduring and meaningful? The messages of culture can be so loud, so pervasive, and so crushing, yet so quietly stealthy at getting into our souls. Just do it. Have it your way. Obey your thirst. The cries of culture put us at the center of our world. Just go after it. But instead of chasing after the counterfeits that will slowly crush us, we are asked to come. Come to Him who can satisfy our deepest longings. Come to Him who will give us rest for our weary souls. Come to Him who is crushed for us. Instead of taking what culture says is true, we need to become students of truth by reading what the world says and comparing it to what the Word says by hearing the world's news and recognizing it doesn't compare to the good news, by seeing that the world offers empty promises that lead to despair and looking to the King who makes us His heirs. So, uh, as I said earlier, we are going through a series titled Catchphrases That Crush, and so in a minute, Uh, Ronnie will come up and uh, preach God's word, Uh, but I just wanted to pray over all of us um, before we do that. So if you would join me um, as I pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Honestly, thank you for this morning. Thanks for this building um, that we have a place uh, to worship you. Um, Lord, thank you for every individual that's here. Thank you um, that you know exactly where each person is coming in this morning whether that's stressed out, overwhelmed, hurt, lonely, excited, feeling joyful. Um, Lord, thank you that we can actually all come together um, united in that, like to hear about you, worship you, uh, learn from you, Lord, and really just to spend time in fellowship with one another. So I pray that as Ronnie comes up and uh, preaches the word, that you'd open our hearts to what you have to say to us, Father. Pray this all in your mighty name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Gospel Community Church. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the elders here, and it's a privilege and honor to bring you God's word today. Happy Reformation Day. Was, it, was anybody tracking that on the calendar? Hey, a couple of people were. There we go. Um, so yeah, it's, it's Halloween Day, but actually there's another holiday that happened to be this exact same day in 1517, and in a big part, it's why a lot of us are here and not in a Roman Catholic church. Um, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses on the door in Wittenberg. And while a lot of people may think it had to do with um, the gospel and kind of taking that back, it was really centered around indulgences and the the Catholic church saying that you could buy your family members way out of hell, essentially. Martin Luther had a problem with this. He thought the Catholic church was fleecing people for money and posted his 95 Theses. And that was kind of the what kickstarted the Reformation, which is uh, not as hard of a split as people may think it is. Uh, we, still want, we still are connected to all of church history. This is just a, a big 
branch. If you're if you consider yourself a Christian, you'd say you're Protestant. You're you're technically protesting. That's what that word protesting the Roman Catholic Church. And so, kind of a big day in, in church history, uh, but also. A day celebrated. Is anybody actually dressing up as like Martin Luther or something funny like that? Nobody's that nerdy, are they? Okay. Just me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) As Jake said earlier, our whole aim and goal here is to make Jesus the hero. And that's not where we're making him out to be the hero. I mean, he is the hero. He's the one who came. He lived a perfectly sinless life, went and died on the cross for our sins. Uh, The great exchange that took place were in which we received his righteousness and he received our sin on the cross. And so we lift up and make much of who Jesus is as the ultimate hero of all of human history. And today we're going to be looking, doing that as we look at the scriptures. Today I've been tasked with the catchphrase, have it your way, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. Uh, Burger King is kind of the one that popularized that in their ads, telling people that they can come to their restaurant and have it their way and appealing to our selfish desires. And as I, as I was preparing for the sermon, I actually stumbled across a pretty funny it, image. I don't know how well you guys can see that, but it says, uh, an atheist friend asked me, okay, but why should I follow Jesus and not Satan? And it shows a sign from Burger King, work for a king and not a clown. That's, that's good advertising for getting people to work for you. And I, I worked in the food service industry, but has anybody here actually worked in like uh, fast food service, like Burger King, McDonald's, Sonic, a couple places like that? Okay. I was thinking it's, it's funny and a little ironic that Burger King is the one that has the have it your way as the selling point, like come to our restaurant. I can't imagine working the drive-thru and having somebody come through with a, with a strong have it your way ideology as they come and they're like, hey, can I get the Whopper and if I can get it on a brioche bun with uh, romaine lettuce and instead of the usual ketchup and mayonnaise, I'd like a Thousand Island dressing and medium rare on the burger, please. I'd be like, uh, sir, this is a Burger King? <laughs> no, cook medium rare. <laughs> But it, it appeals that this have it your way, Burger King was kind of smart in doing this. It appeals to our, our selfish desires. There is a, a religion, I would say, of selfism that's very prevalent in the culture that I'll talk about later as we go through. This is something that I struggle with deeply, wanting things to be my way. It's funny, I, I, as I was preparing this sermon, I kind of talked to my wife and I, I asked her, I was like, what, what do you think are some ways in which I'm selfish? And granted, it took her a very long time to sit there and come up with anything at all, hours, days even, you know. Uh, no, but she quickly pointed out to me some ways in which I am, I'm incredibly selfish. And one of the big ways, I didn't even notice it until she kind of pointed it out, but I'm really selfish with my time. And some people may, you know, Rick, me, even people who know me really well, like, really, time? And uh, yeah, I actually am. Pointed out a couple of things that I'm really selfish with my time. I don't like being late to places. I hate being behind like slow people. Even when there was a preaching change in the schedule last week and Rick looked to me and Jake and was like, would either of you like to take it? I immediately looked to Jake and I was like, hey, would you, are you? And in the moment, maybe somebody's thinking, oh, he's he's like, you know, maybe Jake wants to come up and preach God's word. And it's like, no, immediately in my mind, I was thinking that's like eight hours of prep time after the kids go to bed. And and in my house, we're very routine-based. I mean, the kids get up at seven, they go down for nap at two, and I'm pretty rigid. They go to bed at 7.30. We start a nighttime routine for the youngest ones. The oldest starts going to bed at 8.30. And that time, even Nicole and I, we spend like one hour, one hour every night after the kids go to bed together. And then after that, it's homework, hobbies, or preparing a sermon or something like that. So I'm, I'm very protective over my time. Um, 
And I, some people told me, and I, knew, I always knew I was selfish. I mean, if you sit here and say you're not selfish, there's a huge glaring problem in your life that you're not seeing. I mean, we're all selfish to some degree. But I, somebody told me that kids would kind of help remove some of that selfishness or help me with my selfishness. And if anything, it kind of, it did in the way that it exposed a lot of my selfishness. Many times being late to places, it's the kids that are the ones that are causing me to be late as they poop in their diaper as we're trying to get out of the house and we got to stop and deal with that now. I get irritated when my kids don't listen to me. I want things done in my house a certain way. And as soon as they talk back to me or, you know, they say they don't want to do it that way. And it irritates me because I want my house run a certain way. When they interrupt me, when I'm talking with my wife or somebody on the phone, I get irritated because I'm trying to get things done. When they reflect selfishness back towards me, it frustrates me because I see the very same selfishness that's alive in me and my own children, and it, and it irritates me. And I shouldn't be surprised that my kids did this because marriage in the very same way kind of exposed a lot of the same stuff as you're starting to share a lot of things, your space and your money and your time and your bed covers. Blanket hog. Um, Actually, relationships can be incredibly selfish. Rick's pointed out a couple times from uh, Tim Keller has mentioned like that. You guys know what I'm talking about, like the spark. If I say like the spark when you're first engaging it on some kind of romantic endeavor, I can still remember the first time holding Nicole's hand. Uh, neither of us are believers, but in, in a room in high school watching V for Vendetta. And, and I went to go grab her hand. And, and that, that's a very exhilarating moment your heart's beating fast you don't know it's like you're standing at the edge of the cliff is she gonna reject my hand and i'm gonna fall off this cliff face first or is she gonna grab back and reciprocate my feelings and so she did and it felt like i was soaring off that cliff in that moment and and the spark that spark can be a real attraction for us but if you think about it and tim keller kind of exposes it uh that's kind of a selfish way of express or of thinking about love how does this person make me feel well, I like the emotions that I'm feeling. That's what's drawing me to that person. But really, it's, a, it's kind of a selfish reason to be in love with someone. So marriage exposes this. And, and we're all selfish to some degree or another. Um, I'm actually watching a show right now that's set in feudal era Japan. And if you know anything about Japan's history during this time, it was absolutely brutal. There, there's rape, there's brigands, there's samurais, there's civil war, there's foreign invasion, there's espionage, there's lying and backstabbing hap happening back and forth. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of the Book of Judges, which we just came out of as a church. And we've seen this throughout all of human history. At some point or another, there have been people in history that were suffering at the hands of other people's selfishness. And I'm sure even yourselves today, as you went throughout your week, or, or in the past recently, we have ruined relationships or caused strife with our relationship because of our own selfishness. How many of us have sinned against God just this week because we had to have it our way? Because we wanted to do something that, that we wanted to do. We wanted to see things done our way and not God's way. God is no stranger to human selfishness. He's not ignorant of it or forgetting about it, and he, he doesn't just do anything about it. As we see in the passage we're going to be looking at today in Mark 8, 31 through 38, when, when Jesus walked this earth, even one of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John were three of his closest disciples. Even these men stood in his way at times because of their own selfishness, because of their own desire to have it their way instead of putting aside their needs for the mission of God. Today in Mark 8, 31 through 38, if you have your Bibles, please open with me and we'll read together. We're going to see how Jesus responds to human selfishness. 
If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the, at the back of the room, and you can open up and follow along with me. Mark 8, 31 through 38. And he, this is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed, and when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we examine this passage and what it has to say for our lives, you would begin to expose some of the selfishness in our own hearts. And I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of the gospel in your response to human selfishness. And that it would begin to shape and transform our hearts and how we interact with one another. Help us, God, to put others above ourselves. And we love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's interesting about how God responds to human selfishness, he, he sees in humanity all of what's going on. I already mentioned a couple of things like Fetal Era Japan, the Book of Judges. I mean, all throughout human history, there is countless examples. We, we could be up here all day talking about different moments in history where people have been hurt and harmed killed uh, because of selfishness. God sees all these things happening, and he actually responds with the gospel. You look at verse 31, Jesus opens up saying, teaching on the Son of Man and what he must do for God's people. It says he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is the gospel that Jesus is giving right here in the very beginning in verse uh, 31. So I'm kind of Answering the question I asked in the beginning, like, what did God do in response to human selfishness? Well, he sent Jesus the Son to die for our sins, to reconcile us to himself. God's response to our selfishness was the, was the highest act of selflessness in coming to die for our sins. It, this would absolutely revolutionize the world if this was just 10% of the population's response to selfishness. If this is how we responded to selfishness in other people's, can you guys imagine how that would absolutely revolutionize the entire world? And even just, just 10%, let alone something like 50 or 75%, if we responded to selfishness the same way in which God had responded to our selfishness, it would change everything about how the world operates. This is, this is good news. This is the greatest news that we could ever hear that God would come and do this for his people. And how does one of Jesus' closest disciples that have been following him so closely in ministry Respond to Jesus. Look at verse 32. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. That in itself is kind of crazy. Uh, the, the word rebuke might be a little lost on us, so it's not really something, not only do we not use it in our culture, so it's a word we're unfamiliar with in that way, but it's also a concept that's kind of rejected by our culture. We don't really appreciate people that bring sharp criticism or strong disapproval to what we have to say. That's actually highly frowned upon in our culture. Imagine, but, but it's not too crazy that Peter would come and, and say to Jesus, like, there's no way you could be doing this, Jesus. 
And a couple reasons is, if you could imagine a close friend coming to you that you've been in ministry with, you guys are working, doing all these incredible things, people are getting saved, maybe miracles are happening, and you're just having this awesome ministry, and this guy you've been working with who's kind of been leading the charge is like, hey, the local authorities are gonna, they're gonna arrest me, they're gonna bring forth false charges, they're gonna convict me, and I'm ultimately gonna be lethally injected. I think a lot of us, our response would be like, whoa, there's gotta be some kind of other way that this can go down. But not to mention, if Jesus is going to go to the cross and suffer all these things, what do you think is in store for his disciples and the people following him? Do you think the religious leaders of that day and the, the political leaders of that day are going to stop at Jesus? So in a sense, Peter here is thinking a little bit of self-preservation here. Like, I don't want to die. Maybe that's what you came to do, Jesus, but I, I don't really see myself going through all these things like being rejected by the religious leaders and suffering at the hands of the political leaders and being killed on a Roman cross. It doesn't sound like good news to me, Jesus. So Peter's, make, Peter's rebuke does make sense. And that's a little bit of the tragedy in our own selfishness. I think a lot of times we probably use a lot of rationale and logic to justify our own selfishness. I, I know I'm guilty of this in marriage. I, I will sit there and argue till I'm blue in the face my case and why we should see things done my way. I want to have it my way. We, we come up with the best arguments to have things done our way, whether it's in our, our marriages, whether it's in work, slamming and putting work on other people and explaining why, oh, you know, John's really the, the right person for this job because, you know, he, he worked on that project last year and I, I want to really take it from him. And, you know, we'll come up with all different kinds of reasons to make things difficult for other people. We'll come up with all different kinds of reasons to not serve and not give in the church and to protect our, our selfishness. What's sad about that, and in Peter's case in particular, if Peter could have had his way, there would have been no suffering Savior, no rejection, no killing of Jesus, and ultimately, for our sake, no salvation. And maybe some of you can relate with what I experience sometimes when I'm, maybe I'm watching a show or I hear something awful in the news or I read something terrible that's happened through human history. I mean, who wouldn't be willing to, if you could, through magic, like a time machine or something or transportation, be able to go in those moments? If you had the power, you'd be like, I'd want to stop those things. I wouldn't want it to be that way. And it could seem like, I mean, that's a good and righteous thing to change the course of history or something happened in the past that was evil. We'd say, well, I, what if there was some way I could step in and stop that thing from happening? I don't like the way that things went down. And there are countless scenarios that we would wish we could have stepped in and done something different. I mean, look at something like Genesis 37. How many of us have given the opportunity if we were in the situation with Joseph and his brothers, when they, they seek to kill him, they're trying to kill Joseph's brothers, or Joseph's brothers are trying to kill him. They ultimately decide, hey, let's just sell him into slavery. That'll be good for us. How many of us, if we had the power and we were in that situation, would be like, let's intervene. Let's stop this from happening. And what's crazy about that is if you, in that situation and many others, but in that situation in particular, if you would have been able to step in and prevent that from happening, you would have snubbed out the line of Jacob. The line that Jesus came from, you would have completely stopped that from happening. If you look at Genesis 50, Joseph ends up saving not just Egypt, but also his own people, his own family members that just sold him into slavery through this dream that God had given him to prepare for a great famine. And his summation of the whole series of events that took place in his life in Genesis 50, 20 is, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. You had your own way of doing things, but God had a different way, and he was moving all these things towards his purposes. I'm sure many things happen in our lives and, and things we see out in the world that don't sit well with us. 
we don't like the way that things are. And selfishly, we think that there could have been a better way that things could have gone down. We're not willing to submit to the, the wisdom and the sovereignty of God in, in some of our, our greatest tragedies, which that can, that can be really hard as, as we endure difficult things and, and to sit there and question like, why did, God, why did God allow this kind of thing to happen? But one of the biggest evidences of God's grace is many times he, he intervenes and stops things from happening the way that we would like them to. If you think about it, would anybody here like me to be the ruler of the universe? I just barely crusted the age of 30. I can't even man manage my own household and finances and things like that. Would anybody like me at the helm of the universe? No, it'd be foolish. These things are hard and difficult for us to deal with, but, but the, the reality of it is, how can I, as someone who's 30 years old, sit there and point the finger to God and say, why did you do things this way? It would be incredibly arrogant of me. It's still hard to, to deal with and face these things, but the reality of it is, things would be much worse would God leave us to our own devices and let things go our own way. And that's what Jesus does here, intervenes. As Peter gives a rebuke, Jesus responds in turn by giving Peter a little rebuke of his own in the very next verse, 33. But turning and see his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I, I feel so bad for Peter in this moment because he's got to be feeling about two inches tall for Jesus to sit there in front of all the disciples and say, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter the accuser. And there's a reason why, why Jesus does this. It just doesn't come out of the blue. This is the second time that Jesus, this temptation has been brought to Jesus. If you look at Matthew 4, when Jesus encounters Satan in the garden or uh, in the desert, Satan brings Jesus the very same temptation. All these things, Jesus, that you're coming to do through the power of the cross and the resurrection, bringing the kingdoms of the world united under your, your headship and your lordship, I will give you all those things without any suffering, without any rejection, without any death. If you would just bow before me, I will give you all these things. So this isn't the first time that Jesus has been offered the kingdoms of this world without any suffering and any rejection. Satan did the very same thing. And so Jesus gives Peter this very strong rebuke. Peter did the same thing we do on a daily basis, though, living and thinking out of selfish perspective instead of seeing the world through the lens of the gospel. The truth is we think about this life and our own hobbies and what we want to do more than we do in establishing the kingdom of God. It's why many times we maybe don't share the gospel, our own embarrassment. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be thought as um, maybe, uh, I, I remember when I was a kid, it was a Bible thumper. I don't know if it's a different thing now, but we don't want to be thought of as like a Bible thumper or something. There's many reasons why we want to protect our own identity and not put ourselves out there. We don't give our time, our talents, and our finances to the church for selfish reasons. Maybe there's, and, and as I said before, we'll use all kinds of logic to justify this. You know, well, I have to provide for the needs of my family. These are hard times. Or we have this vacation that we're kind of planned. Or, you know, I don't really have the time to serve the church. I got different things going on. Or I'm not really equipped to serve the church in this way or that way. And we come with all different kinds of reasons. We don't fight sin as hard as we could because we know that it would require of us that a few things don't go our way. It would require some sort of sacrifice on our part. I was talking with Mark about this sermon earlier this week. And he brought up a good point that this is kind of how we train ourselves throughout the day. We wake up and we say, well, what am I going to wear today? We wake up and say, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I doing today? You're sitting around the house and you say, oh, I'm hungry. And so you get up and you open the fridge and you grab whatever you want or you go down into Hawaiian time and you order 
Julio the chicken or something. You're like, I'm in the mood for this. And you go and do this. And while a lot of those decisions aren't necessarily sinful or, or but, but it is, we get in this habit of kind of going through our days, not really considering the needs of others. We're still self-focused and self-concerned. In, in marriage and kids, it's a little bit more difficult. You can't really go throughout your day just doing whatever you want. But Mark was even saying, as a single person, it can be really difficult to fall into that trap of constantly thinking about yourself and thinking that the universe revolves around you. And this is the, the, the great need for Christian community, for us to be involved with church on Sunday and even gospel community groups throughout the week and to actually sit and consider, like, how do I put the needs of my brother or sister in Christ above my own? And this is a great thing in our gospel community groups. We get to sit down and pray with one another. I know DJ, who leads mine, he breaks the men and the women in different groups, and we consider throughout the week, how can we stir one, one another up? How can we pray for one another? Most of us live our lives this way. And if you're anything like me, you go, quite a, you go through quite a bit of your day thinking the very same way, unless you're a better man than me. However, a better man still is always Jesus Christ, because in verse 34, we see him describe what selflessness really looks like. He calls the crowd with his disciples and he says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this is, this is hard for us to wrap our heads around because one, there, are, there is a very, very low chance that any of us are going to die through crucifixion. Unless some serial killer gets a hold of you or you do missions overseas in the Middle East and something happens, the cross is very far removed from everybody in this room. Nobody is thinking throughout their day and having anxiety that someday I might end up on a cross. However, for Peter and the disciples hearing this thing from Jesus, this was a real possibility. And think of a culture, they were so much more acquainted with death than we are. We are so far removed from death, whereas their culture was not. And the cross was so gruesome that this culture would not even talk about it. It wasn't something that they discussed. That's how awful the cross was of a thing. And for them to hear Jesus say that if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross. That was heavy for them to hear this thing. And there's nothing I can even compare that to in our culture. Cause if I, I said lethal injection, that isn't compared to the suffering that Jesus endured at the cross and the prospect that he just now laid down before his disciples to say, this is the cost of discipleship. This is what it looks like to, to follow me, to be like Jesus. It looks like great suffering for the sake of others. The gospel was the ultimate act of selflessness. And we reflect that love when we live in a way that considers others. In verse 35, he says, Forever who, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. There is a, a popular religion in our, in our culture that has been dressed up as Christianity. It's the religion of selfism of the have-it-your-way ideology. It's funny, if you're looking for, for something controversial or kind of funny to listen to when you go home later today, does anybody know who Shylin is? Christian rap artist? A couple people do. Okay. Um, he's actually a pastor too, but he's a Christian rap artist. He has a song called False Teachers, and it's a crazy song. You go and watch, like, listen to the lyrics. It's kind of crazy what he does in that song. But this is the, one of the last lines in the song. Listen to what he says. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is a message forever. I yell, if you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. And that was a jab at a very specific man. There was a book written said, live your best life now. Uh, and after, what's funny is after that line in the song, Shai Lin goes on to call out by name 12 people, 
popular preachers that are preaching this gospel of selfism and of selfishness that you can have all the promises of God's kingdom now. And that's what the gospel is about, being healthy, wealthy, and wise. And he, he says by name, all these people. And I went and I looked up on Twitter. I was like, I was just looking up some of the names. These are not small fries either. These people have like five, six, seven. The main one had 10 million followers. And as I'm scrolling his Twitter page, there was a sermon that, that, that popped up. And I was like, I got 10 seconds. I'm gonna sit here and watch this. And, and he's talking about the oh no people. Now I'll go ahead and say it, it was Joel Osteen. And he's saying, talking about the oh no people. He's like, the oh no people will tell you that you can't live your dream. And the oh no people will stop you from filling your purpose. And the oh no people will tell you that your latter years will not be as good as your former years. We, church, we need an amen people. And as I'm sitting here listening to this, I'm like, I don't see Jesus preaching a sermon like this. I don't think that this is something that Jesus would say. In this passage, Jesus tells Peter, oh no. <laughs> oh no. We are not doing things your way, Peter. I have a plan that the Father has predestined from all eternity. For, the, for his glory, I have purposed this suffering that I'm about to go endure for your sake and for the sake of many people today. The preaching of selfishness is nothing that Jesus would ever say as you read through the Gospels and see the life that Jesus lived. This was one of selflessness. It's a very popular idea, but just as that is popular, so is the way that leads to destruction. And those that enter by it are many, as Jesus says himself in Matthew 7, 13. Now, in verse 36, Jesus transitions and puts forth a little bit of an argument for the sake of his gospel. Jesus is very smart here in verse 36, I mean, and 37. He's appealing to our, our selfishness in a sense. For what is a profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I mean, who wants to give up their soul? Jesus here is appealing to that. And Jesus knows that just like my kids, having it their way would not be good. That is one of the last things you could ever want. That would be the most terrifying from, thing from God. The one to whom we're we are commanded to say, your will be done. The worst thing that God could ever say to us is your will be done. For him to hand us over to the foolish things that we desire. It was mentioned in the, in the video a little bit. We chase after these things that will ultimately destroy us. And I see this in my kids all the time. My oldest son, he still at three and a half years old, still cries and screams when I change his diaper if it's poopy. And, and it's not because I hate him. If I were to let him have it his own way, he, he has very sensitive skin and it would scald within minutes. Within 30 minutes, he'd have blisters that I'd be constantly changing and putting A and D on to, to stop it from hurting. But even in the process of me trying to intervene and keep him from having it his way, he cries and kicks the whole time. And it's crazy. We do the exact same thing. And which one of us here would criticize a doctor trying to save our life from a life-threatening condition? Here, take this medicine and us just kick back and say, oh, no, thank you. I've got this. It'd be, it'd be kind of foolish. God knows what we ultimately desire. As we chase around looking for all these shadows of pleasure, he has predestined to call us to a more glorious life, a life with him where in which the joy of everything we could ever experience in this life is taken to a new threshold that we couldn't even begin to imagine. And if you're ashamed or dismayed at the way in which God has purposed to save his people, Jesus has some terrible news for you in verse 38. Because he says, forever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. If you're ashamed of the way that God has purposed to save his people, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you're ashamed with the way that God has determined to save us, unwilling to confess him as Lord and look to him alone as your only means of salvation, then the worst of all possibilities could come true. 
God will allow you to have it your way. He won't intervene. The Son of Man will not acknowledge you before his Father in glory. Clearly, it is not the most important thing in the world that we have it our way. Adults, you're past your 20s, you should be able to look back and go, you know what, that's actually kind of true. As I look back when I was a kid, you know, I, I still freshly remember being a teenager and I had it all figured out. You know, I wanted to have it my way. And if I, thank God I didn't. And my, my parents, my, my dad intervened and God stopped me from having everything the way that I wanted it. So we're able to look back throughout time and see our own selfishness and how if we were given over to what we, what we think we want in this world, these temporary pleasures that we seek, we can see that it's, it's not really good. Jesus has shown us a better way of living in relation to one another and in relation to God. And the gospel is the ultimate display for us of what a life lived for others truly looks like. Sacrifice and laying yourself down. If you've placed your hope in Jesus for salvation, my encouragement to you this week is to sit down and spend some time, even in prayer, just ask God, what would it look like to die to yourself when things don't go your way this week? Whether it's in, in marriage, work, in community with the church, with your children, with your parents, what would it look like to die to your own selfish ways to say, I'm not going to have it my way this time, but I'm actually going to serve and love others as Jesus selflessly served for us? How can we live selflessly as Christ lived selflessly for us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I realize this is a, a, a difficult calling to live selflessly for others, but it's nothing that you would have called us to if you hadn't first demonstrated it to us yourself. And we thank you for taking that first act of selflessness, first in creating us, and then in saving us. Solely through the work of Jesus, God, thank you for laying down your life, Jesus, for us reconciling us to the Father. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work through us and help us to set aside our own desires for the needs of others. And I pray that this would be something that would, would change Gospel Community Church that would begin to work outwards and change Lane County as we seek to love others more than we love ourselves, just as you did for us, God. We love you for all you've done. Amen.